All right, here we go. <laughs> Are we gonna have a blooper reel? <laughs> We're gonna mom. <laughs> I know I joke about this. Can I talk about you snoring? <laughs> All right, let's get the giggles out. <laughs> Sorry. So being Abby's brother, so you're younger, you're three and a half years younger than her. Mm-hmm. And what's that been like for you? It can be frustrating at times. A lot of small things that that just make me feel not super valued but i know it's because of her autism and it's not that she doesn't actually love me that's something i've really worked on is being able to understand the other viewpoint it doesn't make it any easier for me and it's not like i can just snap my fingers and be like okay i understand you okay so today i'm really excited to have both of my children on the show today abby and aiden you've heard me talk about both of them if you've been following me at all for any amount of time. Abby, as you probably already know, is my autistic daughter. And Aiden is my son. He is not autistic. This is a a series this summer on communication. And so I wanted to just ask them here to talk about their experiences as siblings, because you all are here because you think someone in your relationship is neurodiverse. Someone's autistic. And it's likely, if you are the one that's neurodiverse, It's likely that you probably have other family members. It may be a sibling. It may be a parent. It may be one of your children that's also neurodiverse. So this summer, I'm I'm sharing my own family with you. And so we're just going to have a chat about it. So welcome, you guys. Thanks for coming on the show. Hi. Hello, of course. Hello. So why don't you guys introduce yourselves a little bit? You can say whatever you want to share, your age, maybe, or just whatever. Hello. Hi, guys. Um, I'm Abby. I'm sure you guys have probably heard a little bit about me. I'm 19 and I am on the autism spectrum. So, yeah. Okay. Hi, everyone. I'm Aiden. I am 16. I just turned 16, actually. And I am not on the autism spectrum, but I've been told that I'm sitting right next to it. Yeah. So what to you does that mean? Uh, You're sitting right next to it. I just, I share a lot of traits with people with autism, but I just don't have all of them. So I can't be classified as autistic. So what are some of the traits that you actually have had, that you have? I have a lot of sensory stuff, a lot of sensory like issues. I actually have a, I don't know, I don't know if disorder is the right word, but sensory process, I guess it is sensory processing disorder. It just basically means I, I constantly need sensory input whether that be visual, auditory, or physical. And when I don't get that, I start bouncing my leg. I start making noises with my mouth. I start drumming on a table. Just anything to get get some uh, sensory input. Yeah. So those are all sensory differences. So you have sensory processing issues. You've gotten a lot of occupational therapy through the years. Abby, both of you have had a a lot of occupational therapy when you were young. So, Abby, do you want to share a little bit about your sensory differences? Yeah. So I know for me, I may not have like as severe sensory issues as a lot of people on the spectrum, but that does not mean that I don't have any issues at all. And specifically hearing and like my hearing is probably what affects me the most. Probably one of the biggest examples of how 
having, I have a heightened ability to hear. I know our family, we joke about how I have like supersonic hearing because a lot of instances I can hear things from far away that a lot of people can't. But then also the downside to that is that in really loud, chaotic environments or environments where there's, for instance, like fluorescent lights, the buzzing can really bother me. But specifically in like public school, whenever we have like fire alarm drills, <laughs> it it's, can be quite problematic. I, I don't understand how a lot of people can even walk out without plugging their ears. Like I have to plug my ears with my hands because just the screeching sound is just, it's horrific. And especially sometimes when they don't give us any warning and it just happens, I, I usually even have a physical reaction. I'll often jump or be physically startled from the sound because like sudden loud noises can really bother me and also <laughs> mom <laughs> I know I joke about this but yeah at nighttime wait can I talk about you snoring <laughs> yeah that's uh, fine uh. <laughs> okay so where I'm located in the house is I'm literally one wall away from my mom's bedroom and so the thing about my hearing is that my mom tends to snore every night. I, I can't. I'm sorry. <laughs> every single night. And my hearing gets even more sensitive at night. I don't know why. I don't know if it's just me trying to calm down or it's just the way that. For some reason, though. What was that? That was your brother. Oh. He's making his mouth sound. That like was it. my mic stand. Sweetie. Oh, okay. It sounded like a human sound. It did. <laughs> no, it that sounded was, like Okay. That was Aiden. This is an example of our family dynamic, by the way. We are, we can go <laughs> off on a tangent, very distractible. This is how conversations go in our family. So back to your story, Abby. No, anyway, I, I was just saying, um, sometimes a lot of times at night, I can, I really struggle to fall asleep at night. And oftentimes the reason is because it could be the most minor sound. It could be a very quiet beeping. A lot of the times it's my mom snoring next door or it, it sometimes like any sort of pattern in volume. If there's like the humming in the vents, I will struggle to fall asleep. It's just that rhythmic pattern. It just drives me crazy. And there are so many instances. I've even had this happen while I've been away at college with my roommate where I hear this, the air vents at my school. Every night, there was always this like humming sound coming from the vents at night. And my roommate, she didn't even notice or she couldn't hear it. It didn't bother her at all. But I, on the other hand, like it would drive me crazy. Like I would put in my AirPods and I would try to listen to music. I would turn noise cancellation on. I even tried, I tried like actual earplugs at one point, but I can't really stand having things in my ear except earbuds. Those are like the only things I can tolerate in my ears for the most part for a long extended period of time. But like, yeah. And it's interesting. You started this with saying, I don't, I may not have as many sensory differences as a lot of people. And I would really disagree with that. I think you do have a lot, quite a lot of sensory differences. And just even you just sharing a lot of that. That's just a really a tip of the iceberg, honestly. And yeah, I want to bring Aiden back into this conversation because I wanted to have you two on here together to talk together because I'd like to talk about how all of this has impacted the two of you as siblings growing up together because you guys have had a 
what I believe to be a really close relationship. But at times it's it's a classic love hate relationship. Yeah. <laughs> and the sensory differences, the autism, it has gotten in the way at times. I'd love to hear your thoughts, both of you, on what that's been like from your own perspective and how things like sensory differences, but also communication differences, language differences, brain differences. What's that been like for each of you? And let's bring you back in the conversation. Where do you like to start with that? What, what exactly are you asking, like specifically? Yeah. So being Abby's brother, so you're younger, you're three and a half years younger than her. Mm -hmm. And what's that been like for you? We've, we've just shared so that we both have sensory differences, but she's also autistic and, and you're not. So you have differences in the way you communicate, the way your brains work. And what's that been like from your perspective? It can be frustrating at times because an example of something that happened probably a little under a year ago is I would just, I think one time I just asked her if she wanted to go to Waffle House or something, just to go out to, to eat and just have breakfast or something, just on a whim. Mm -hmm. And she like, really didn't want to do it. And I, that confused me because I was like, this isn't really a big deal. We, we'd just be going in, going out. I, I offered to pay and everything. So that wasn't an issue. Well, she was having almost a borderline panic attack about it. And it, it, it kind of made me feel hurt because it made me feel like she just didn't care mm -hmm. really enough to do this uh, with me, to do this for me, just things like that. There's other just small things that it, that it, I don't even remember, but just small, a lot of small things that, that just make me feel not super valued, but I know it's because of her autism and it's not that she doesn't actually love me or actually want to, to do that. What's your understanding of how her autism affects those choices? that she's making like with the waffle house thing she can't really do anything just like on a whim or just sporadically or at least it's really hard for her to she needs planning time and i even have a running joke that i have to let her know four to five business days in advance before <laughs> we even do anything but that gives her time to process it or whatever to prepare mentally or and physically maybe yeah abby What's your perspective on that? Do you remember this? Um, yes, I actually, I remember very specific examples. I don't recall it. This might've been when we were at dad's house, if that's the situation you're talking about, Aiden. I know we've had multiple situations. Yeah, yeah. Like this. Uh, that is what uh, I'm talking about. It is? Okay, yeah. So yeah, I know exactly the exact instance he's talking about. And I don't know how much other people can relate to this. And I can see how from a neurotypical viewpoint or from somebody who doesn't really who doesn't really think about like schedules and or somebody who really lives in spontaneity if that's the right word um for me it's it's hard to explain but I do really struggle with being able to do things on an impulse Practically my entire life, I, I rely a lot on logic and my brain and not so much just going off on a whim. And so this instance that Aiden's talking about, for me, it's just incredibly difficult for me to do something on demand because it feels like 
I'm not ready. Oftentimes, I like to know what I'm doing a day or two before it happens. It sounds silly, but in a way, it's like my mental energy is a currency of some sort. And it's also, it's like a bar, like a task bar that gradually goes down over time, whether it be like a day-long length or a week-long length. And depending on the event or activity also depends on how much mental energy I have to portray. And a lot of that goes into the fact that I almost constantly when I'm in public feel the need to mask or not have a slightly altered persona that I portray. Even if I'm with, for example, Aiden, like even if I'm with my brother, I'm still in public in a way, and I still feel like I have to be a certain way. And when these random spontaneous requests come at me, oftentimes I like wake up that day and I'm like, okay, this is how my day is going to be. This is what I'm going to do. I don't have to go out. I can just chill. And then suddenly I'm like, he might ask me to go out somewhere and I will freak out. I will have a almost panic attack because suddenly I have to think about the idea of of being in public and I also tend to overthink a lot so I'm like do I look okay am I are people gonna stare at me will people think I don't want to do anything weird or like or be dumb or stupid I feel like a lot of it is also just I feel like a lot of that just every person ever in general (laughs) goes through this but for me as far as autism, it definitely feels like a, I feel like I have to have a structured feeling to my life, to the environment that I'm in, because in a way, it's a way of helping me process how to get through the day and how to know who I have to spend my social and mental energy on. So I never intend to hurt Aiden's feelings. And Aiden and I've talked about this before a lot. Just we've had to talk through it because I can see how it could be very hurtful from the other perspective. That's something I've really worked on is being able to understand the other viewpoint. It doesn't make it any easier for me. And it's not like I can just snap my fingers and be like, okay, I understand you. Let's go out because I I can't do that. That's not possible for me. But I have worked to do something more for him. Like even today, for instance, my brother and I actually went out to eat lunch today, which is, I know nobody, that is rarity upon rarity. Like I, I kid you, I don't think we've gone, I think maybe one time ever other in our entire lives have him and I gone out to eat somewhere. But like, I asked him last night because I was like, you know what? I think I can do this. I know it's something that he's wanted. And just having the time at least, or at least having that evening overnight to just be like, okay, when I wake up tomorrow, this is how my day is going to go. This is how it's going to be planned. It just made things so much easier for me. And Aiden also gets that time to go eat lunch with me. So we've had to work on being able to compromise with each other. I think he knows. We still have a... um. I I feel like my family, especially Aiden and I, we still have a kind of a little bit ways to go to be able to really knock out that that good communication between us because he will still sometimes creep up requests on me. And again, I try, I don't even know how to describe it well, but the best way I could describe it is something about needing the structure and the knowing in advance how I'm going to be spending my social energy, which... 
it may sound dumb to some people, but maybe to other people on the spectrum, this makes sense. I, again, I don't really know how to explain it, but it's extremely hard to do things spontaneously for me. But hopefully Aiden and I will get better communication. (laughs) Yeah. So Aiden, what was that like for you then for her to initiate that interaction with you to go to lunch? Because you were saying it's rare for you guys to go to lunch together. And a lot of that has to do with just circumstances. Everybody's schedules are nuts and you're an athlete and Abby, you're in college and it's rare that you both have the opportunity to go, but it's also rare for Abby to initiate that. And so what's that like for you being the neurotypical in this relationship? What was that like for you? It felt weird, if I'm being honest. First, I thought she wanted something. Okay. No, I just, I don't know. It it, it did feel kind of nice because I, I do know that she doesn't really like doing that. So it did feel nice that she did that for me, really. I think that you saying it felt weird is so authentic and so representative, honestly, of what it's like for a lot of, I, I want to just point that out because I think that a lot of my, the, the neurotypical couples or neurotypical partners that are going to be listening to this can relate to what you just said. Because when autistic or neurodiverse partners make that effort sometimes, that neurotypical partners are just really, they really want in that relationship, whether it's with a a, a spouse or a friend, a sibling or, or whoever that person is, that's that interaction they want. But when, when it finally comes, it does feel awkward and weird because It's not what we're accustomed to from that person. And so that also contributes to the dynamic that's awkward in the relationship. So that also speaks to that two-way communication that we both have to put effort into recognizing our, how we're responding to each other. So how did you respond to her when she initiated it? To be honest, when she first initiated it, I was half asleep last night. So I just agreed and didn't really think about it. Mm-hmm. And then? And then I woke up and... It's also asleep. <laughs> was, oh, yeah. You were asleep yeah. when you initiated? Yeah, I woke up upstate. <laughs> I was going to go eat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I took a nap. I got back from the gym and I was tired. So. <laughs> so when she approached you again and you realized, okay, wait, this is a legit thing. Then how did you respond? I think I responded okay. I... I I responded, yeah, sure, let's do this. And I wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. And did you guys have I, a good time? Yeah, yeah, we did. I think we did. I think, I think we did. Yeah. I had a good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, so that's a good example of a two-way, how it takes it takes two. And, <clears throat> sorry, losing my voice here. So, Adam, so that was a good example. When you think back in time, and, and either one of you can answer this, really, but when you think back in time, and you guys are both teenagers now, Abby, you've, you're almost not a teenager. You're 19. But when you think back in time to, as you've been growing up, in what ways do you look back as you, the more you've learned about the fact that you are in a neurodiverse relationship with each other as siblings? What do you see when you look back? And what do you notice about your relationship as siblings? Okay. I guess I'll go first. Okay. I honestly, if I'm being truthful, I really hold a lot of resentment towards my younger self because back when we were both younger, I completely, I was fully oblivious to 
to the people around me. Like I wouldn't even bother trying to understand the other person's perspective. And quite honestly, I was very self-centered, very self-absorbed and everything had to be like about me or it had to satisfy me to in order, I guess, me or whoever to be happy. And because of this, Aiden and I would argue a lot. I was very kind of controlling in a lot of situations. We would often argue about like watching TV, compromising between what shows to watch. And it was very difficult. I feel for me to understand how some of my own actions could be interpreted as not very opening or, or like openly or like welcoming to the other person. And because of this, I feel like a lot of our childhood, Aiden probably felt very not appreciated that much. I don't want to like speak for him too much, but that's the vibes I feel like it was given off back then. And who I am now, looking back, that's something I've really wanted to work on. Obviously, I've been away at college, so I really haven't had much of a chance to spend time with Aiden anyways, or any family member in general, but like this summer break, especially, I feel it's important to really understand the other person. And I want Aiden to feel more understood and heard than what I did younger, because growing up, definitely, we definitely squabbled a lot. And there were a lot of arguing and fights. And if I'm being honest, I can probably see how a lot of it really is my fault because I just simply refused to negotiate or cooperate. <laughs> but yeah. And Aiden has become an expert negotiator because of it. And <laughs> so, oh, yeah. uh, so Aiden and Abby, thanks for being so honest about that. And I, I want to say you've just said it was your fault. I, I want to say that I, for one, don't like to assign blame to anybody in these situations because you had no you had no way of knowing first of all you were a child you were a kid but you also were a kid with a neurodiverse brain an autistic brain you had no idea so there's no real fault or blame here there's no one to blame no one at fault but understanding it and recognizing it and learning as much as you can now is really the key and that's what you're doing Aiden what do you remember what are your thoughts about what you remember you were, were really controlling and there, there really wasn't any negotiating. The, the only negotiating that ever happened was when mom or dad got involved. It was pretty much whatever you wanted to do across the board, no matter if that was a TV show, no matter if that was a toy, it didn't really matter. And yeah, I do, I do feel like I, I grew apart or developed some, I did develop being a really good arguer because of that. I feel or I don't know if that was the direct cause of it, but it certainly helps i feel like and yeah you're talking about being self-centered and your first word was as <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah you, her first word was abby and aiden's first word was ball <laughs> so, that, that's true you know that kind of significance because i've played every sport pretty much known to man that's that's and <laughs> That's true. It's interesting because as you, we learned that you were autistic, Abby, when you were five and we shared that we, we were very upfront with you about that. And of course, at, at age five, 
that was just a word. And at the time it was called Asperger's. And of course they changed that in 2013 and that really bothered you a lot because that was your definition. That was well, the way it's... It, it, that hasn't changed. I will still say I have yeah. Asperger's. Yeah, oh, you still and you still identify as an Aspie. Yeah. And a lot of people re relate to you as well that were diagnosed previously. You've learned a lot about yourself. You've advocated and you've done papers, you've done essays, you've done speeches at school. And so you've made it a point to understand yourself as much as possible through the years. And it's still affected and impacted your relationships. Okay, we're going to stop there for this week's episode. Be sure and join in next week to listen to the rest of my chat with Abby and Aiden. And also, in case you missed my announcement last week, enrollment is currently open for Relationship 2.0, which is my communication live workshop. And this is part of the, the foundational communication program that I have for partners and couples to really, really learn how to connect in your relationship. But more than that, it really is the script where I break down communication into four different stages and help you understand why your communication is breaking down, help you determine how to uh, how to decide which conversations are the important ones to have, how to approach each other. It also helps you understand all the confusion that you're bringing to your relationship as a neurotypical and a neurodiverse person. It's just really life-altering for so many people. So enrollment is open right now. There is early bird registration that closes on June 26th. So go ahead and get on that before the, the registration closes and just visit crackthecommunicationcode.com to grab your seat, which seats are limited. So get your seat now. I will see you guys next week.